a reading life, a writing life, with writer and teacher Sally Bailey. The wind has dropped. The wind has dropped. They threatened a gale. New Year's Eve and a gale. And I'm outside in the dark, waiting for the wind. But the wind has dropped. sophisticatedly and just for a moment I had a panic there a brief moment of panic thinking heck has that door slid against me am I locked out on New Year's night New Year's night alone in my brother's house in Chichester large house with sliding doors and the wind outside trying to get in but there's another sound too something pressed close to my chest vibrating quietly humming and purring like a busy cat suggested I wear it. It feels a bit like a pacemaker, but it sends vibrations through your nervous system and you can control it with an app. I wasn't sure at first, but actually I think it works rather well. Makes you aware of your body life at least, makes you feel more somatically connected body and mind being one and the same thing, I'm just going to turn it down. It's rather energetic at the moment. In fact, I may turn it off so I can have silence. Silence again.
doesn't want to turn off. It's now moving of its own accord. Let me put it away. <laughs> it's talking back. It's talking back. Perhaps all of life speaks back to us if we let it. If we listen, now I lean back on a comfortable leather chair, which is also talking back, talking back, talking back. I can still hear that humming. It doesn't want to go away, does it? Very persistent. My leather chair is very relaxing. It's one of those recliners. I feel like a gentleman scholar in one of those London clubs on Powell Mall. The sort that ladies never go into. I met a lady today at the Quaker meeting. A kind lady. Was she called Jeannie or Jean or Jenny or Joni or Janie? Something with a J. How do you remember people first, I wonder? By their name or their face? By the creature they resemble? For we all resemble creatures, don't you think? I do. Genie. Genie resembled a bird. An egret. Perhaps that's because I'm missing the river here in Chichester, where the medieval cathedral marks the city with its tall spire pointing into the sky. Poke, poke, the sky goes the spire. It reminds me of a heron bird. But I know it is a Norman spire. I know my Normans from my Saxons. My Saxons, more squat, from my Normans, taller, more inspiring. And indeed it was the first Norman bishop, Stigand, Stigand, S-T-I-G-A-N-D, who in 1075 ordered that spire. But it was some years before his vision was seen through. And it wasn't until another bishop called Ralph, Ralph Luffer, Luffer, L-U-F-F-A, who in 1108 completed the cathedral and had it, had her, consecrated. That's all I can remember of my history of that cathedral. First there was Stigand. And then there was Ralph. Jeannie didn't tell me this. Jeannie at the Quaker meeting didn't tell me this, but I remember something like this from long ago. How many facts can you remember at once, Siren? Remember, perhaps, 
two or three. More than one, certainly. Two or three, as long as it's attached to people. That's how I like my history, like biography. Through people, thread your history through people so you can remember. And I remember this, that Jeannie's father was a civil judge in Germany, originally from the Czech Republic. And he was responsible for issuing a fine to the wife of Mr. Goebbels, Mr. Goebbels, for stealing something from a local shop. Her name was Magda. Magda. Magda Goebbels. The names and the facts are coming fast now. They're coming fast. As Jeannie told me her story, the story of her father, the judge. And Jeannie and I conspired. We conspired in sharing facts about our various experiences of the medical profession, which I will not share here because sat as we were at the side of the Quaker meeting room. It felt like we were sharing state secrets or anti-state secrets. The world has gone a bit like that, I think. A bit like that. State secrets. But I was impressed with Jeannie. I was impressed. She had her facts. She knew her medical history. She understood the body and her husband's body and that delicate state of defence and aggression we call immunity. And as I left the Quaker meeting house opposite the lush green park with cedars and elms and oak trees lining my prospect, I did what I always do when I start to move around this city. Currently on my push scooter. Scoot, scoot, bump. Scoot, bump, 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 bump. Scoot, whoops. Scoot. I look for the Norman Spire, which will settle my direction. Which way to go? Which way? Which way to go? towards secrets, subversion, secret opinions, secret ideas. I've been thinking of subversion, subversions. Because yesterday I was teaching Paradise Lost by John Milton and I came across these lines, these lines in the opening book. Receive thy new possessor, one who brings a mind not to be changed by place or time. The mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven. 
What matter were if I be still the same, and what should I be? All but less than he whom thunder hath made greater. Here at least we shall be free. The Almighty hath not built here for his envy. Will not drive us hence. Here we may reign secure, and in my choice, my choice to reign is worth ambition, though in hell. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Thus spake Satan, God's fallen angel. Those are his words. He says, it is better to serve in hell than to be in service to someone in heaven. It is better to have your own reign or kingdom or dominion or sphere of influence than be in service to anyone other than yourself. And I've been thinking about the lie of this statement because I do think it is a lie and it's a lie we all live with that power and fame offer forms of liberty. I would say the opposite is true. The opposite is true. Every time I have to do something in public, it takes me away from, not myself exactly, because I like to communicate about writing and the arts. My imagination, it's generally speaking uplifting, like that spire in the center of the city. But it does take me away from my truer, more hidden self, my writing self, the self that creates strange places in the mind. That isn't to say you can't generate in public, you can. You can generate good things, good thinking, with and around others. Discourse, dialectic, conversation, talk. But you can't stumble so easily into the private precincts of your unconscious in the same way, can you? And you can't make the peculiar loops, the peculiar imaginative loops that allow you to circumnavigate words and images. Words and images and sounds to create strange new forms of meaning. And then I hear Satan's words again. Who says this? One who brings a mind not to be changed by place or time. A mind not to be changed by place or time. 
But I am changed, Mr. Satan. I am changed by place and time. Every moment that I am awake and every moment in which I sleep. And I am in a new place now. A different space, a different house. There are sliding doors filled with glass panes, a bit like a church. And above me there are wooden rafters. Wooden rafters pointing north. We have to adapt. We have to adapt, we humans, to social time and social circumstances, to Christmas and New Year. God help us. We have to curate a version of ourselves acceptable to others. We have to adapt according to who it is we meet. Whom it is we meet and speak with. And of course we adopt their idioms, or at least we bend to them. We bend to their words somehow, somewhat. And we respond, even if our response is silence. Because silence can be a form of consent, or inquiry, or doubt, or hesitation, or reflection, or coming into knowledge, deepening, growing, questioning, wrestling with meaning, settling the terms of our engagement with time and space with time and place, which keeps altering us. I've come to stay away from my boat, away from the river, for a few days, a few weeks. The duration of time is uncertain, but here I am, in a cathedral city. And as a child, I used to come to this city and catch, catch what bus was it? The number 700, was that it? The number 700, the coastal bus which slugged its way along past the tiny cramped fishermen's cottages and then up over the hill towards the town with the grand castle full of aristocrats eating fine meat and drinking fine wines from Burgundy. Up and up over the hill as my stomach fell to the floor of the bus until we came to the cathedral town where everything seemed very well planned and well laid out. All the plans, the future, this being a Roman town after all. And I recall getting off the bus on a winter's afternoon as the light was falling around me and heading for the spire. 
opposite the Army and Navy store, long since closed. Do you remember it? Very smart, very smart clothes, very smart mannequins lined up in the windows as I passed by on my way to the spire. And round the corner, round one of the stone corners below one of the soaring buttresses, I was confronted with a woman who seemed to come out of nowhere and she screamed at me. She screamed at me. And it was as though a gargoyle had fallen from the cathedral buttress above my head. And this lady's face screamed with agony. Because this was her place. This was her hell. And I had walked into it. And I've never forgotten that woman my whole life with her cheeks puffed up as though she carried the whole windy world within them. Years and years of being buffeted about in her windy, Thank you for listening to A Reading Life, A Writing Life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like it, give us a review, or mention us to friends or on social media. Thank you.